it's the 87th Precinct Podcast. It's book number nine, Till Death, by Ed McBain from 1959. Welcome to the show. We have got a few little bits of information to deliver at the start of this, which includes that we are now available to listen to on Stitcher Radio, which, if you don't know, gentlemen, is a very popular podcast hosting place. So if you do listen on Stitcher, which, if you're listening to this now and you don't know that it's on Stitcher... Why would you then go and listen on Stitcher? I don't know. But if you do decide to swap to Stitcher, if you rate and review us on that, that would be extremely useful, as it would if you happen to be listening through Apple Podcasts, formerly the iTunes podcast service. (laughs) Or if you're listening on hearthis.at, where we host it, or Acast, or TuneIn, or Blueberry, or Player FM, if you share it, but especially Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, if you were to rate it, review it, then that will be very helpful in getting the message out about our extremely niche podcast. (laughs) And if you want any more information about anything we talk about, any of our previous episodes and other odds and sods, then we have got uh, a blog, hark87podcast.blogspot.com, and that's got the entire 87th Precinct book list on there. It has got some Ed McBain biographical... <laughs> Ed McBain biographical information, even, and some useful links to other sites, and uh, we keep updating that as and when things occur. So that's the admin out of the way. And what we're going to do is, uh, well, I think we'll introduce the uh, team as usual, <laughs> including me, Paul Abbott, and you, Stephen Royston, and him, uh, Morgan Brown. So that's us. Hello again. We get into the world of some matrimonial madness. Oh, indeed. And we step outside of the squad room to some extent with this story. We never step in it. We, well... Or do we? we, we well, kind of. Briefly, in it. Yeah, briefly, yeah. yeah. It's 1959. There's um, this book and one more afterwards listed as copyright 1959, but we're basically at the end of the 50s run of the, these novels. Now about to embark into the wild new era of the 1960s. Mm. And this book was written probably almost exactly 58 years ago. I think it came out, or it was copyrighted in the September Mm. of 1959. What an exciting time that would have been for Ed McBain. Because he was publishing lots of books. (laughs) Not for us, because we weren't here. Right, so before we get into this, I thought I'd like to cast a nice local event into the mix here. I did some research, wine and crime style, into real marriage-based crimes. It's not a bundle of fun doing that research, really. But we're based in Liverpool, and the best crime I found, the best crime, (laughs) it really was the best, the greatest crime, comes from a story from 2013. And you guys might remember this, you might not. In 2013, there'd been a a, a bombing in in the US, the Boston Marathon bombing. That is not the crime we're talking about here. A few days after it, a chap called Neil McArdle was supposed to be getting married to a girl at St George's Hall in Liverpool. It's a beautiful venue if you've never seen it. Look it up. (laughs) It's a big building in the centre of Liverpool. It's... Very ornate, beautiful wedding venue. I expect if you have a wedding there, it's a nice place. So obviously it was a big wedding 
oh, voices going there already, <clears throat> getting quite emotional as you <laughs> do at weddings. <laughs> Problem was, he'd actually forgotten to book it. Ah. Now, how do you think he got out of this situation? Uh, Given the information I've delivered to you so far... I think he might get um, bludgeoned to death. Did he... he didn't well, have... Did he do the killing, or was he I killed? didn't say there was a killing. Did, did oh. he somehow create the impression that he'd been killed in the Boston bombing? No, nothing oh, quite that all right. <laughs> did he... That's uh, what I would have done. So is there any murder afoot here? There is no murder afoot. Oh, right, no. perhaps he... Mm, I can't, I don't know. He basically rang up the venue on the day and, and gave a bomb hoax. <laughs> ah, does this now not ring a bell, actually? Yeah, well, it should do, given yeah. it was on our local news. Yeah. I, I don't remember that at all. But What, so he blamed the fact that they couldn't have it that day on the fact that it had been declared... It had been evacuated yeah. rather than... So ra- his attempt it. to try... Oh, and... it's pointless going down, though. Yeah, basically, to try and hide the fact that he'd failed to actually book the venue, <laughs> he created a bomb scare, which meant that, obviously, the place was swarming with police and it was the, the venue was closed. To be honest, on, on the... Morning of your wedding, or when that, or the day before, perhaps, where it mm. suddenly dawned on him, that is actually pretty it's good f- thinking. F- that is just like, isn't it? Yeah, it's like what is worse? I get found out for that, or <laughs> I am murdered by my fiance. The problem was, of course, the police went down. The wedding was postponed. Mm. The place was searched. It was found out that there was no bomb there, and so. Everyone went, well, the wedding's just delayed. Let's go ahead. And then they went, but there's no wedding booked here today. <laughs> oh, and, oh dear. <laughs> the slate floor. I, with the, I now retract that <laughs> clever thinking He hadn't thought it through a couple of steps yeah, in advance, I, you see. He probably wasn't thinking straight, to be honest. This is going to buy me a very small amount of time. It's so, a big place. You would think it would take a good day to search for a bomb mm. there. It is a large, a large venue, Definitely. although... If it's empty, though, it's quite quick to... Mm. There's no bombing here. Yeah. Apparently he disguised his voice. He rang the registry office and said, this is not a hoax call. There's a bomb in St George's Hall and it will go off in 45 minutes. Not, it will go off at some point today. Mm. Thus making it, like, much more of a threat that would take a longer period of time, that would make it more difficult for them. It will go off at some point during the next month. It's yeah. really well concealed, you'd, you'd so you won't find a, it. You'd give them a riddle, wouldn't you? You'd <laughs> yeah. give them an Ed McBain-style cut-out pieces of paper <laughs> riddle. That's what you'd do. Yes. Later it was discovered that no booking for the wedding had been made. McArdle's would-be in-laws were already suspicious, the court heard. <laughs> and and Williams is... Uh, that's his... Amy Williams was his uh, betrothed. Williams's sister was overheard telling a flustered McArdle... You've probably done the bomb scare yourself. <laughs> he admitted to embarrassment and shame oh. that he had panicked over bungling the forms and staging a bomb scare. <laughs> oh, so he actually tried, the to, forms he actually tried oh. to book it and... Uh, yeah, oh it's, dear. it's just... It's a litany of disasters from start to finish, really. Yeah. I wonder what happened to them after. Well, Williams... Was he has, incarcerated? I'm reading this from a... An article dated the 22nd of October 2013, which features the line, Williams has stood by the defendant, the court heard, and they are still together. 
However, I would like to refer you <laughs> to... Um, I've lost my piece of paper now. I would like to refer you to an article in the Liverpool Echo dated the 2nd of December 2013. <laughs> oh. St George's Hall bomb hoax bride-to-be. Quote, I'll never forgive my ex for what he did to me. Ex. <laughs> he got a year... Oh, and he now features regularly on the Liverpool Echoes list of Merseyside stupidest criminals. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Excellent. there you go. That's our our true crime wow. wedding story to lead you into a much more extravagant wedding-based crime it's, plot. It's stranger than fiction, that though. You wouldn't believe that if McBain had have set that out as a premise in <laughs> Till Death, would you? No, indeed. But we open in Till Death with... Um, well, actually, talking about how we open, do your copies of this story, gentlemen, as both being different copies slightly, do they open with cast of characters? Indeed, which is an unusual feature. It does, yeah. Because I looked at... Because obviously mine does, and I looked online at some of the uh, other new edition, the Thomas and Mercer online edition, and... Don't they have the, it? They didn't look like they had it in... Oh, well, certainly not on the online preview, anyway. Yeah, so it's rare that... We see it more. Well, in fact, this must be, I must be the only 87th precinct book that's got a so, cast yeah. of characters that start, which tells you something you need to know about how many characters there are in mm. this book already. Yeah. It also, I think, does, does something to kind of set a bit of the tone of the novel as well, because their descriptions of the characters kind of um, set you up for... It's it's fairly melodramatic and kind of slightly corny, yeah. which I, I think kind of does sort of... Give you a bit of a hint as to where where the book's yes, going to take absolutely. you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Which is is pretty fun. Mine has the page number that they first appear on in it as well. Oh, mine yours doesn't. Don't, no, because they're different editions, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a look. Page nine. Oh, yeah. Amazing. It'd be a bit daft if it said page nine on yours and if yours is in a dual volume. Oh, it, it does start with the page number again. Oh, right. I suppose so. Uh-huh. Then. <laughs> Hush my mouth. <laughs> I think these are actually the same editions, mine and Steve's. Just yeah, like just yours is stuck to yeah. on the back of another. Well, don't give too much away because we know that our audience do like to listen to the bonus oh, episode oh, yes. for detailed well, descriptions spoiler. of the books we've got. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so like the description of Christine Maxwell, who is Cotton Hoare's new friend. The flirtatious merry widow figured a walk in the woods would lead only to a kiss, but she figured wrong. Page twenty-four. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like that. It's an interesting thing. It's dedicated to Margie and Fred. I don't know who that is. Hey, oh, mine isn't. No, yeah. that's mine. He's well. rededicated the novel in later oh. years. Why? Who, which, which, what, what? This is for my dear wife, Dragica. Yeah. Oh. Oh, right. So it's so the later editions. He's asked for them to be. I think he basically asked for all of them once he met um, Dragica or Dragica. Don't know how it's pronounced, but she went by the name Dina. Oh. I think. I think once they got together, he basically everything he had released, whether it was re-released, I think he had rededicated oh, to her. Poor old Margie and Fred, though. Oh yeah, I don't know who Margie and Fred were. Like the last one, I figured out not who that was important, were they? Were. Next door neighbours, he fell out with. <laughs> yeah, clearly, sometime between 1959 and the uh, 2001 edition or whatever. Perhaps it they were the people that got married in some wedding, and he. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, this is kind of... this is literally their story. Who knows? <laughs> but. It, it opens basically on um, a follow-up to the the last novel where we find out that Teddy Carella's pregnant mm-hmm. and Steve is lying there in bed feeling all sad that he can't get his rocks off, basically. Yep. And then having to go off and meet 
the bridegroom of his sister. So this is a family story. So there's lots of backstory about the Corellas in this, which is something you don't get much of, I don't think, with other characters or in any of the other books. Mm. Where you get this much family detail where you suddenly meet parents and sisters and things like that. I think they're more or less absent, really. Yeah, it's it's only really Steve's family who you 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 do get to meet in any real depth, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Mayor Mayor talks about his a bit, but I don't think you ever. Generally, meet. it's just flashback to just round the dinner table. I think, aren't they, when they yeah. chat yeah. in? But yeah, certainly not. And then beyond the bits of, of Pete Burns' family that we've already uh, explored. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So it's his little sister Angela who's getting married to this chap Tommy. Who is having, uh, you know, a wonderful time, being a bit nervous mm-hmm. as you do at the, when you, you're getting ready to get married, and he's getting prepped, and he's received a gift. Well, traditional gifts that you send to someone. Well, do you send gifts to the groom on the morning of the wedding as a little like a little teaser gift? I don't think I it's don't a think thing. So, is it? no. I don't tend to. But, snifter um, of booze or maybe uh, for come round something like that yeah. from the hip flask a, a, a cigar or something maybe yeah something, something uh, possibly something consumable like yeah. maybe a silly little gift maybe but um, perhaps certainly well, not um, perhaps someone would like to explain what this silly little gift is well I'll let Morgan well it's it's, it's a black widow spider yes a black widow spider it's a live one as well, isn't it? it because certainly is. when he opens, uh, is it a little box or something? And then yeah, he like, it throws it across like the room. And be, yeah. He's like, "Why the hell did you let me open that, you idiot?" When he shows <laughs> yeah. it to Steve Carell, doesn't look like it's going to be some little piece of jewellery or something, perhaps. And then, yeah. and then it is a black widow spider. Yeah, I hate spiders. <laughs> it's that time of year as well at the moment where everywhere you turn in your house, there's a spider. There was one in my mum's bathroom the other when I was down at my mum's the other day yep. that was about the size of a Yorkshire Terrier. Bloody hell. <laughs> it was huge. It had prongs. I think they were legs, but, you know, I'm mm. going to call them prongs. <laughs> but, yes, they, they go into a bit of amateur psychology about what the spider is a symbol of. Mm. You know, forgive me getting all uh, biological here, but Steve Carella seems to believe that the Black Widow spider is a symbol of the vagina. Mm. Gosh. Now, I've not heard that, but... Nor have I. It's, you know, perhaps I don't move in the circles where female anatomy is compared to deadly arachnids. <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever heard that before. I think perhaps it's just the name Black Widow, therefore it's a extrapolation. Yeah, there's... Um... One of those Sherlock Holmes movies is Sherlock Holmes and the Black Widow, is it? Or the Spider Woman. Spider Woman, ah, yeah. It's one of the uh, Yeah, one of the Basil Rathbone. Yeah. Hmm. So I wonder if that's along the same lines of that sort of uh, kind of impression. deadly feminist kind of oh, yeah. Deadly feminist. Deadly feminine feminine, <laughs> feminine uh, <laughs> items. Yeah. I, the, the, I think the, the Black Widow consumes her mate uh, oh, after yeah. they've yeah, yeah uh, that's, that's uh, the... from listening to the Black Widow by uh, Alice Cooper with a with the introduction by Vincent Price. I am aware of that. Uh, well, those are two sources you wouldn't dispute. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Alice and Vincent. Wouldn't These people know their spiders. Yeah. What I think is a bit strange about everything that happens in this book, <laughs> and this is the first. I mean, 
a lot of the ones that we've been reviewing I've read before. This is the first time I've read this one. Oh, right, okay. And I did, That's interesting. I did zip through it quite quickly because it is quite a compelling, oh, yeah. quite bouncy sort of story as you go along. There's a lot happens in it. Bouncy is about right. I think. It was a bit th- quite theatrical, I think, especially mm. with the... Um, I think, I think the cast of characters at the beginning kind of braces you for something a little bit different. Mm. Yeah, and we know he wrote plays as well, yeah. so maybe mm. he had that sort of thing in mind. But it very quickly, so he gets a Black Widow spider sent to him, alive, <laughs> but immediately they're like, oh, you think of anyone who might have sent you this? Oh, yeah, someone I was in the army yeah. with a little while ago. Um, yeah, I killed, uh, or I, actions that I took may have led to the death of his mate. Or so he thought. Oh, anyway, should we go and get married? <laughs> <laughs> and then they immediately, we go over to the, the one scene in the squad room, I think, which is basically where... Thunderfront. He rings Maya, up Maya Maya, 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 And we get one thing that is interesting here and is useful for the scholar of the 87th precinct is it's that we finally the... get a chart, don't we? We do. It's quite exciting. So, some of the names on there. Yes, it's like a squad chart showing like the shifts for the next week, really. Uh, which is quite interesting because there's lots of names there that we've heard of uh, and then lots of names that we've never heard of and some names that we've not heard of and yet will <laughs> hear. Oh, I'm quite intrigued there. Special assignment at the bottom. Alexander. No idea who that is. Parker. Um, Kasukian. Never heard of him. Masterson. Never heard of him or her either. Uh, but Brown... Maya O'Brien Willis, they're all there. But then there's Di, Di Mayo Levine. Yep. And then there's Fields, and we all know his later obsession with W.C. Fields. <laughs> yeah. So you I kind of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You're extrapolating forward that. Might, well, it might be a good by about 40 years, probably, <laughs> by the time he uh, introduces a character. Uh, but yeah, yeah there's, there's a, blend, uh, a mixture of... Because very early, one of the earlier books says that there's normally 16... Uh, cops mm. on at uh, any one time. Yeah, and that, three, that, six, that, nine, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. If you count the special assignments, mm. so he's actually provided us with all the names there and yeah. filled in the blanks that yeah. uh, we may have had, which is great for the eighty seventh precinct nerd. Indeed. I wonder if any of them do crop up again, even in passing. I'm not no, sure. I don't, I don't, I don't think. think so. No. I think we, we just no. assume that people get transferred between precincts and that's probably why they never turn up. And yeah. Yeah. Other people get transferred in and that's fine. But it's interesting. Parker Holden most definitely does. Yeah, indeed. I'm trying to remember. It's difficult to remember when they come in because some of them you think come in earlier and later. I think he's in the 60s, some 70s uh, Yeah, maybe. it definitely crops up in the 60s, I think. Mm. It's a shame about Kasukian. I was looking forward to the adventures of Kasukian, but yeah. uh, not to be. Yeah. Perhaps there's a spin-off series of books to be had. Kasukian and Capek. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Detectives. That's sort of fan fiction waiting to be written. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> but Carella's calling up the squad room so he can find out the, uh, the numbers of his... Or find out who's not on as well, because he's obviously on a day off because he's going to this wedding. And so he drags the other two cops who are on the day off as down to the wedding as fake guests to help him guard his brother-in-law-to-be. Mm. Bert Kling was reading the Sunday comics when Corella's call came. He took a last wistful look at Dick Tracy's wrist radio and then went to answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> There's a nice clip on the next page about Dragnet as well. Which oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is his usual dig at uh, 
the world that he's working in. <laughs> but it just gets it gets so ludicrous this book. It's very silly. <laughs> it is, yeah. Because I don't think we actually get well, we do have a murder in this, mm. but it doesn't happen until do you know, have, have I even written it down like Yeah, a, that's very late on. Yeah. Yeah. And someone that you wouldn't necessarily expect. In the meantime, we have tampering with a wedding car. We have an attempted assassination, which doesn't even there's not even a bullet fired at that point. There is mysterious wedding gifts. Mm -hmm. There is a man who assaults himself at (laughs) one point. (laughs) There is all sorts of to dos, and one of my favourite things is there's some uh, there's quite a lot of musicians in this story. Mm. Oh, because, yeah. well, my favourite one is on page 102, 103 in my edition. Because you know what we do love? We love hep talk. Oh, yeah. Chapter 10, there's a load of hep talk. There's some going. great jazz cat um, lingo going on, there? So there's some musicians at the wedding. There's including a band leader who's questioned about why he carries a gun. There's talk about someone having a trombone case, I think. Oh, which is being indeed, used yeah. as a as a a distraction, a bluff for carrying a rifle. And then at some point they're questioning a guy called Sid Lefkowitz, who goes by the name of Sid Lef. <laughs> a name he describes as shorter, sweeter and with a good beat. <laughs> <laughs> He's brilliant. It's one of those great little bits of interrogation where they start speaking to someone and it's just it just goes off. One of McBain's classic things mm. is to, to do that, to introduce a character who's like, you're interesting, but you're not helping in the slightest. <laughs> so you just, yeah. just get a little insight into their bizarre life for a few pages and then, then they're, they're gone again. Uh, I'd like to hear uh, Sid Left's uh, Symphony for 12 Strings. So tell me about Symphony for 12 Strings, Morgan. Well, uh, I, mean, I think I'm getting the wrong idea here. I, I, you, you do sound like you're getting the wrong idea and don't. Okay. Uh, it ain't from Bananasville. Not from Bananasville? <laughs> That's where I get all my records from. A jazz symphony. Three guitars, six violins, two bass fiddles and a piano. (laughs) I like uh, Slush Pump as uh, (laughs) a name for a trombone as well. Slush Pump, I've never heard that. The guy with the Slush Pump. The Slush Pump. (laughs) What are you doing to a trombone that makes someone nickname it the Slush Pump? What's coming out the other end? This is almost as bad. Bra- brace yourself, I'm going to fire up the slush pump. <laughs> oh, God. This just reminds me, in the news today, there was a talk that in London they've discovered a massive fatberg. Oh, yeah, I saw oh, that, yeah. It's longer th- Riddled with condoms, condoms and lots of disgusting things. That- this is congealed fat of the length that's longer than Tower Bridge, apparently. Yeah, it was like... Tons, wasn't it? Yeah. It's all those people emptying out their um, slush pumps <laughs> into the drains. Simultaneous slush pump discharge. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me! Oh God, makes me feel a bit sick. But uh, yeah, see, it, it is a bit of a, a blizzard of incident and suspects. But am I right in thinking? The main culprit is the first person to think it might be, and then they go on lots of blind alleys, and then it actually is him after all. Yeah, it is. The one thing that. All right, okay. (laughs) Thanks for that. The thing that bothers me about this book is perhaps the actual motive uh, at the end. 
But uh, before we get into that in too much detail, have we got anything else about musicians in here? I mean, there's a great description of the band actually. Oh, um, where's that? If one? I can find that. Um, just it tells the the, the lineup, um, and it sounds quite fun. Eighteen slush pumps. <laughs> I think the slush pump is definitely uh, highlighted as a, a bit of an issue with it. Twenty marching slush pumps. What's that song? Seventy six slush pumps. <laughs> one piano player, one drummer, four saxophonists, two tenor men, and two alto men, two trumpeters, one lead and one second, and a trombonist. Slush pump. <laughs> slush pump, indeed. Um, the Sol Martino Orchestra. Yes, it's a bit, bit of a grand name for for a band of that size, but uh, you see his picture. Good old Al Martino. Actually, the ensemble would have been complete. Oh, sure, the rhythm section could have used a bass player, but why be picky? It would have been complete without a trombonist. Unfortunately, I think uh, Sal himself is the trombonist, and that's why uh, why he's there working the slush pump, even though uh, no one really asked for it. Yeah, absolutely. But we do, as Steve said, we do see a picture of Sal on one of the another classic McBain thing, which is a reproduction of a piece of police or a piece of municipal paperwork. Let's say in this case, it's a city bureau of pistol permits and it's got a little mini photograph inset of of sal he looks like he's got a little um sparks style mustache indeed there salvatore albert martino <laughs> he is 28 years old five foot nine weighs 157 but it doesn't say what the units are and i'm refused to <laughs> 157 pounds stone <laughs> yeah. that'll be pounds it certainly it will. will be, yeah, of course it will. In the States. Oh, because I weighed myself yeah. on my mother's uh, weighing scales, and they were in pounds, so I had to put in one. What is 150 uh, pounds? I, I only have a concept of, of weights in pounds from uh, watching years of pro wrestling. So I know that, you know, large wrestlers weigh 300 plus pounds. Smaller wrestlers, not so many. You're able to look in, in your um, um, pro football magazine about poundage of... Oh, yes, um, of course. And I'd still not really understand it. Yeah. Yes. 300 is... It's, it's yeah. big, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's... 180, um, that's about... 12 that's, stone. 30 yeah, that's solid. Stone. Solid, 13, yeah. 13 stone there yeah, about. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. 13, 14, yeah. Okay, I'm and sure... Yet in baking... Um, in, in baking. Pounds adopted, I suppose, aren't they? Well, who knows? After Brexit, who knows what units we'll be using? With the, uh, the Isle of Man. <laughs> the Isle of Man inch, which is an inch that's shortened by three millimetres, and you have to work out in your head every time. Yep. Oh dear. The Guernsey ounce. <laughs> Be amazing. Started. <laughs> you know, but they, they kept on like metric measurements, but they gave them ridiculous <laughs> names. So, like the Guernsey, the Guernsey yard, which is just a meter, and like the 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 Alderney. Um, Take that, Europe. Yeah, the uh, the Alderney pound would be just a kilogram. Yeah. Can I have two Alderney kilograms of potatoes, please? Of your bendiest bananas, please. Yeah. Suck on that, Brussels. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. It makes about as much sense as anything else to do with Brexit. A Tresco. um, (laughs) 
A Tresco. An Isle of Dog's Foot. If you wrote this into, into the Daily Mail, they would be celebrating it. It'd be Letter of the Week, wouldn't they? Yeah, it'd be front, front, front page. <laughs> Actually, yeah, probably. <sighs> Finally. Oh, dear me. That's... We've, we've wondered somehow a little bit off topic. I don't, I don't never mind, think, never but... mind. Uh, talking about the music, I'm sure somewhere it says what songs they're playing. And... Oh, it, it does occasionally. They were they were doing a better job than the narrator seems to have suspected that they were going to. It must have been. Oh, no, let me call you sweetheart, which is mm. a song which is one of those wartime tunes I associate it as being. Yeah. Let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. Started too low there. Got a bit husky. Um, <laughs> with all the chat about the horse ladies songs in the previous. Mm book which you can't remember the name of um, he must have been a bit of a music fan to go into I this level of definitely. detail he does the music props up in, in a number of his, his books really. Does his future I got his future. Streets of Gold for You didn't I Morgan Indeed. that's it's all about a, a musician yeah. his future rap book as well. oh yeah well that's, there's a lot of that coming up yeah um, <laughs> but yeah there'll be there'll be time and plenty for that yeah, the anniversary yeah. waltz. Oh, yeah. one that they, it's, play it's, they seg into always, and then somehow successfully modulate into the anniversary waltz. Lovely. Yeah. I can't believe you could still play after getting shaken down for owning a pistol. Poor old Sal Martino. Um, can, can still blow a slush pump. Yeah. <laughs> With the best of them, he's a professional. He is. On the bandstand, Sal Martino leaned over to pick up his slush pump. <laughs> I would just like to point out that one of the characters who comes to be important in this is a lady called Una Blake. Becomes very important in this, in fact. Oh. In an early description of her, and again, I hate to get much into female anatomy, but there's a description of her that says, you won't miss her if you see her. She's a blonde with bazooms like pineapples. <laughs> um, oh, covered in spikes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really hard, gnarled outside. Yep. Bazooms like... Yeah, it, it should be said actually that Mc... spiky green nipples. McBain is in no way shy about getting into descriptions of female anatomy in this book, more so than most of his others, I think. That's very true because even in a big fight scene, which uh, spoilers ahoy, takes place between. I've already kind of given away <laughs> the entire plot <laughs> well, of the book. Really, yeah. <laughs> well, it takes place between Una Blake and one of the cops. It does linger rather over the tearing of the dress, mm. which is. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of par for the course for these books, but it just reads a bit weird now because it's almost like he's sexualising the fight to mm. some extent. Yeah, and I think Una Blake is is more described more like that than and he, even than, for him. Yeah, even for him, it's it's pretty extreme. Like every single time she crops up, there's some kind of fairly lurid description of her. I think we're supposed to get the idea that she's rather a well, uh, perhaps not femme fatale. She's certainly not, we don't know her marital status, so she's not a Black Widow character, but she is something, she's someone that you would notice and therefore probably very good at manipulating people mm. is the implication. Indeed. But, but yeah, it does feel a bit heavy-handed in, mm. in, from a modern perspective. That's when he's at a bar that's called the Easy Dragon, and it's only called the Easy <laughs> oh, yeah. Dragon because the sign writer made a mistake. It was supposed to be called the Easy Drag In. <laughs> I like that. It's an interesting touch. <laughs> yeah, it's in another nice bit of sort of passing kind of character sketch there with the the the, um, the barman of the, the Easy Dragon. Yeah, very much so. There's loads of interesting characters in this. There's the photographer. The photographer is, yeah. is cracking, isn't he? Yeah, he's in it for quite a long time. 
as with his quite uh, it, well mind you McBain loves photographers as mm. we've ascertained there's not been a book without a photographer in it I don't think so far so I wonder if that'll wear off at any point or whether actually when we trace the whole thing what it really is it turns out the 87th precinct is a a subtle history of photographers <laughs> in New York City as told through the fictionalised account of a police <laughs> precinct yeah it could be well, there are a few good ones yeah like Birnbaum as well the unfortunate neighbour bless him yeah, so, well, I think we have to give up on spoilers on this one because there's too many characters to actually talk about it without They kind spoiling. of give away what's going to happen to Birnbaum um, in the cast of characters, to be yeah. honest. So he's just a nice guy that's known the family for a long time, but because he lives over the street, he pops back there, hmm. foolishly, runs into Una Blake, runs into the wrong end of a bullet, and suddenly the police are involved properly. It's not just the sort of off duty guarding duties that the others have got mm. that's the main actual crime but we don't actually see much about the investigation of that particularly mm. because it's sort of handed out to a different precinct mm. and everything happens in separate little places so there's some actual cops chasing information about one character from the start there's the investigation into this death which is just sort of left to happen by other cops as well there's Corella's own investigations at the wedding and my favourite stuff about that is that he's basically laying into a guy who used to go out with his sister, or thought he did, hmm. like a childhood sweetheart who wasn't really a childhood sweetheart, who is an absolute psychopath. Yes. <laughs> he sort of comes across like he might be a bit of a, an annoying character who's a bit like pining for her, but it turns out he is just an absolute nutter. And puts a cup of uh, weed killer in a bottle yeah. of wine. Oh, I thought that would be fine. Yeah. Make him a little bit sick. Yeah. Yeah, spoilers are out the window, aren't they? Yeah. It's, it's, it's done. Let's put it this way. <laughs> he sends the Black Widow spider. He cuts the steering cable on the car. And he poisons a gift to the bride and groom. And he kidnaps her once they're married as well. And then brings her back and says, oh, I wasn't joking. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's all in fun. Uh, you just having a laugh. I mean, come on. Go easy on the fella. He's the perfect example. So for everything we say about McBain's treatment of women in this, or perhaps his treatment of, his descriptions of women, maybe, mm. he certainly gives us one of the most entitled male characters <laughs> yeah. and then treats him with the contempt he deserves. Absolutely. And he's such a little git that to try and get out of the problem he's created, he runs headlong into a tree to knock himself out. <laughs> but they they don't take any sympathy no. on him, and uh, he ends up booked for the attempted murder of uh, the, the groom. Which is entirely fair. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And they thought that uh, the groom would share a bottle of wine with his new wife. Never kind of enters his head. Oh, of course, because yes, the, the he's like, we- well, I put the label on him. Yes, they have his and hers bottles of wine, <laughs> but only his has the weed killer in. But the cup of weed killer. <laughs> Naturally, on the wedding night, they're going to take a bottle of wine each. <laughs> yeah, that's quite amusing. There, he's um, well, he's basically observation a dickhead. He is. Definitely a dickhead. But of, of, good, of good characters involved in this book, though, we get a, a rare, prominent outing for Bob O'Brien as well. We do. Oh, good old Bob. So, isn't in that many of them. Certainly not more than 
I mentioned think, in a paragraph. But, I uh, think this might be his last major outing for a little hmm. while, uh, if I remember correctly, but I might be wrong. Hmm. Bob O'Brien is the tragic cop who just can't seem to get through any case without having to shoot somebody. No. And this is no exception. <laughs> Fortunately... We've least... mentioned him before because he's cropped up in something today, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's popped yeah. up from time to time. Because he generally works alone as well, doesn't he? Because he's reluctant to be his partner. Yeah. You know, the, the other cops are always fearful of getting shot when he's around. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this is no different. In Yeah, he's... He hates shooting people, and every time he ends up in a situation, yeah, he ends up he, shooting he, he does a very sorrowful description of him, he doesn't does, he? Saying he goes home character. and has a cry alone and all that. Because well, he shoots a butcher who he knew since a, yeah. he was a kid or something. It's yeah. quite sad, yeah. As the uh, caster character says, the jinxed cop, so-called because he'd had to kill seven men since he joined the force, prayed he wouldn't have to add an eighth name to his guilt-heavy conscience. Which, luckily... He doesn't, but he does have to shoot someone yes. who is carted off in the meat wagon. I was intrigued as to whether the meat wagon was still used as a euphemism mm. now for ambulance. I did put the question out there and someone said it was. Mm. Um, and another friend said, oh, my father-in-law uses the term meat wagon for his vehicle at work, but he works for Tesco's. All <laughs> <laughs> words to those effects. So yeah, I, I, I that was useful. I, I first came across the... Uh, the, the term uh, in its repurposed um, form in uh, Judge Dread, where it's actually used for the wagon that carts off corpses to be recycled. Oh yes, <laughs> it takes it, it takes it that that satirical that extra macabre step. Yeah, that's the, that's the yeah, and as Steve says, the link between those two those yeah. two ways of doing it. Mm. Yeah, but a gallows humour type thing, I think, mm. is, is the basic thing there. Absolutely. Oh, so who else have we got to talk about in here? What else have we got to talk about? There's a lot. There's a lot going on in this preposterous farce of a novel. There is, yeah. It <laughs> Christine is. Maxwell gets another... Uh, um, because I think um, Cottonholes had only just met her, had he not, in the yeah, previous... Yeah, he met her... In the two previous books, two books ago, briefly. So they've obviously been seeing a bit of each other in the, in the meantime. Yeah, and then... so all of a sudden she's... Because uh, he's normally, like, insatiable, isn't he? He's always <laughs> yeah, just... Well, she's... She's um, getting involved in this. She, in this one, she sort of not try to trap him. That wouldn't be fair. Yeah, she's winding him up. She's winding she? him up, well, but is. it does does help to move the plot on the way. She, you know the things that she does there, and the places she goes. So I always remember liking her as a character when uh, I read them the first time round. And uh, yes, here she is again, making one of her first um, prominent yeah. uh, roles. Oh, I must. Yeah, talking about cops. We must mention there's a reference to um, Miscolo or Miscolo. I still oh, don't know how to pronounce yes. it. Oh, yeah. Because it's the first reference to his coffee being really bad yes. that then runs through the rest of the entire thing. And it's, it's deliberately, tra- directly, sorry, traceable to, to the incident, yeah. isn't it? In the, in the last him book. being yeah. shot in the last book. All of a sudden, it's, it's ruined his coffee. And that seems to be all that the other cops are bothered about. <laughs> <laughs> Not that yeah. he got shot and had some terrifying war flashback. That's true, because when you read them, uh, you just presume it's just an ongoing theme through all the books, but it isn't. It's just after you get shot. Actually read them in order, yeah. Get shot, lose the ability to make decent coffee. But everyone feels too bad about it to actually point out to him that the coffee's bad. (laughs) Well, I think it it points up to one of Ed McBain's skills with these characters, though, is 
no one just has a quirk for the sake of it. Mm. No one is just the way they are for the sake of it, mm. which does lead to him repeating descriptions of characters over and over mm. again. But that also means that you can pick up any book yeah. and figure yeah, it out. Of course. But everything's grounded or rooted in something that's happened. Yeah. And so for Miss Golo, yeah, it seems a bit of a joke in later books, but obviously it's, it's rooted back in an incident that's happened and it's changed someone, silly as it might seem, but it gives it gives it a bit of reality, gives it a bit of grounding. Definitely. So I think it's one of McBain's really good skills. I've totally characters. forgotten that, actually. I must have passed, missed that. Yeah, yeah I obviously hadn't really registered it at the time, but, mm. uh, yeah. And, of course, where there's a wedding, there's normally some other family things happening. <laughs> this tends to happen in stories about this. And, of course, at the end of this book, Teddy Carella gives birth. Mm. She gives birth to twins, yes. who then, over the course of the next 30 years, <laughs> age at the most terrifyingly <laughs> slow rate. Which I think he, he, McBain does make the occasional wry reference to, doesn't he? Yeah. Do they become yeah, fif- 15, 15? Get, get to teenagers, don't they? I think they just I think so, about, yeah. yeah. It's, they start going out on the lash, don't they? At what? In, I think one of them does, or yeah. get some hooch from somewhere, <laughs> or something like that. At the tender so, yeah. age of forty-five, <laughs> which is probably about the right pace for the novels. So, mm. like, what? Yeah, three years in reality is one year in McBain life. Yeah, I think it, yeah, about... it's something like that. But there, something else uh, that you can take into account is. There's no, there's nothing that actually says these books take place in the order in which they were released, and there are some you can read as taking place earlier or later. Doesn't up to the point we are now, they generally are because mm. character introductions are, but there you can imply that some of them I think take place in different times. Mm. I'm not sure about. I'm not sure about. That, well, I, I will do some research into it. Yeah. I've, that's come to me from something I've read in a book called The Boys from Grover Avenue, which I haven't shown you, gentlemen, yet, Ooh. and it triggered a thought and I think it possibly is the case for a few of them not many but you could read them as being earlier cases or, or whatever mm. so mm. if, we, that, that if would, we spot that then that would be interesting because the Miranda Escobar thing which mm. uh, is certainly dates them prevents them being any earlier than whenever that is that's in this that's coming up soon isn't it I should know when that was. I've read too many crime books. Yeah, but I can't actually think. So that, is that a mid sixties thing, the Miranda Rising? Yeah, so that oh. certainly dates them. And I always thought uh, that this, uh, not obviously not totally conclusive, but the seasons date them in terms of. It, they do normally it, you pick up so one and it will fit in they, with they, the, they follow on yeah. in that respect. But I'm, I, I, I could be. Probably convinced I think there's that... some telescoping of time at least, yeah. and um, I well, think some of them might be. On my little switchable. spreadsheet that I'm pulling together, I have a little column about timing. Ah. Well, I'm I'm and willing so... to agree that they take place, but I think there's the possibility mm. that if you do need to try and work out how things happen, but I... you know, authors aren't infallible in terms of getting everything in the right order. No, right no, time, no they're they're not. Nor should they be. And. But having read them in order, I've yeah. never read one that I thought this doesn't make sense. No. This, is, yeah, yeah. this is kind of. I, I think he manages to keep a, a reasonable amount of continuity with a certain amount of retconning, just to make things make sense as you're reading them. I certainly don't think the entire series dates more than fifteen years, because my kind of impressions of 
is that your main stock of detectives, Corelli and, Corella and whatnot, are probably circa late 20s, 30 at the beginning, mm. and you get the impression that they're possibly in their mid-40s yeah. come the end of the series. I think it sounds about right Pete to me. Pete Burns, you get the yeah. impression well, he's about 50, maybe approaching, you know, like it's very, tricky very old. because he's mentioned, in one of the books, it's mentioned that he was a patrolman in the 30s. Yeah. And, of course, he has to start abandoning those sort mm. of specific Direct, details yeah. later on yeah. because well, he's still in charge of the squad in 2005. Yeah. Well, like people who were in the Korean War well, ended up being in Vietnam yeah. or in, in the Gulf War even, I think, towards yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right, so well, I think we need to get towards providing a rating for this uh, oh. marriage-based mayhem. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we'll oh, do is... I've got, I've got, I've got the chart uh, of the previous uh, scores uh, for uh, Steve-O to read out. Uh, summing up, all right, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> While I uh, oil Kenneth's wheels. Killer's Choice, what happened in Killer's Choice? That's in bottom place on 71 police shields. Justifiably so, I feel. Which which was that? Is that the one that... Uh, That's the lady who, who is one thing to one person, one thing to another yeah. person. Oh, and then they yeah. never, they never quite really explain why. Oh, no, that's right. Got a copyright, it's still ranked. Anyway, copyright 86, the mugger, 76. The pusher, 75. The con man, 83. Killer's choice, 71. They're all much of a muchness, these early ones, I do have to say. Uh, Killer's Payoff, 80, which is the one where they hunt in the, the guy who writes, they'll kill the, the, the lady. That's, that's Lady that's Killer. The, lady that's Killer, lady ah, killer. that's the next one, 83. <laughs> and then Killer's Wedge, uh, 82. Okay, so I'm going to go out to Morgan Brown for his Police Shield oh, Award. Oh, it it we need it. And our general uh, summary as well. And a general summary as well, of course. So, summarise, award. Okay. That I mean, is the process. I, I, I think it's it's really, really good fun, but totally ludicrous. Um, <laughs> like, absolutely daft, but it's a, a real patron. It's very entertaining. It's got lots of good character stuff in, but it, it's not in the top flight. So, I, I still think I probably prefer it to Killer's Choice a little bit, so I'm going to give it a 73 police shield. 73 police shields falling mm. out of Morgan's locker. I will rate it next um, to give Steve a bit of time to think. As I say, it's the first time I've read it. And I went through it really quickly. It's, it is a page turner. It is exciting. It's quite silly. It's quite... Well, I was going to say cinematic, but it's not cinematic. Theatrical is the word. Mm. You can see it as as a series of, of, of events. Quite, It's quite visual. I could imagine quite a lot of it. It would have made a really good episode of the TV series, <laughs> save for the fact that it made a really rubbish episode. We'll perhaps <laughs> talk about that on the bonus, maybe. But, similar to Morgan, I am not a massive fan of it in comparison to the others. It, in taking Corella out of the police station and putting her into the situation, and then sort of forcing events to bring some police action into it, it feels a bit like it's not quite right. So I am going to go for 70 Five police oh. shields. Over to you, Mr. Stevo. Yeah, having read it before, reading these books back as well, like there's some that you kind of 
refresh your memory and you know some of the early ones have similar sounding titles and mm. you're like oh i kind of remember this one you get in as yeah. as soon as i pulled this out of the bookcase i could remember which one it was instantly and i remember thinking yeah this is the really daft one <laughs> um you're big dafty and nothing kind of chin it's, it's a bit like a you could imagine like a amateur dramatic society putting this on yes um, yeah it's it's got that feel to it, yeah, and I thought from from the the cast of characters onwards, really, yeah. it definitely does. And I, I think he does. I, I, I'm sure it's intentional that he's he's making it a bit dafter. I think because it, maybe after the, the previous one, it's just another really deliberate change of tone. Yeah, just to see what fits really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd, when I was reading it, and I'd not thought about this the first time I'd read it, it is quite similar to that Lady Killer one in that you've kind of got the clock ticking on a... They know who the target is. They've got these messages coming from someone. and yes, Do they know? And they, they, It's kind of almost this hopeless investigation mm. to find. And so I, th- I found that quite... And given that's only two books ago, mm. it's a pretty similar kind of... Plot mechanism, I thought. I know what you mean, but Lady Killer reads like a, a good thriller, whereas yeah, the, this reads it, like a farce. Ex- exactly, yeah. No, exa- <laughs> so, exa- but exa- I know what you mean. It, it, it is a similar... The messages and ooh, ooh, you, know, you kind of know who the target is, and yet they're trying to work out. I don't know, I just found it a bit <laughs> similar. So, yeah, I for me, my least favourite to date, I would say. Hmm. Um, Go on then, and rate it. Yeah, and given all the excellent ones in the future, to bring a bit of depth to the scoring, I'm going to give it a, the equivalent of, say, six out of ten, sixty police shields. Oh, look at that! Good grief! In order to give it's, a bit of depth to the scoring, harsh, I, think, I, think. I think fair, and you've justified your your scoring well. Um, so yeah. So let's see what Kenneth turns up, Oof. calculates every number, nearly every time, honestly, and he says. One? That's not right. One. I pressed the wrong button on Kenneth. <laughs> Stupid Kenneth. There's there's never a more unreliable operator than Kenneth. Than one? How did I get one out of it? Oh. It is sixty nine oh, police shields on my and you unconventional unconventional rounding down system. So that is our lowest, isn't it? It should be noted that a low. Uh, it's still series, almost it's still, 7 out of 10 it's still pretty great okie dokie so that's 69 police shields out of 100 awarded for McBain's Till Death but let's not that put you off reading it because it oh, is no. very amusing yeah, definitely it's give just, it a read against you'll, you'll, some you'll of enjoy its, it against some of its peers which are um, if you're yeah. reading some quite intensely in a close sort of time period as I think we all did when we first got into them mm. It probably does come as quite a relief in in the midst of some of this stuff. Just looking at it in this level of detail and on its own, perhaps we've looked at it through fresh eyes. Hmm. So, we will do a bonus episode for you as well. But the next book we're going to look at is... I was going to call it the name of the Kurosawa film that's based on it. It's King's Ransom. And that's the Hmm. last one from the written in the 50s. And we'll be doing that in our next podcast. So, until that time... I will say goodbye using my voice. Goodbye using my voice. Goodbye. Fare thee well. See you soon. Bye.